the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet, in Solomon, meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to jail the apostles. But on arriving at jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you, have, you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force but they feared that the because they feared that the people might stone them. The apostles were brought in and made, to, and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and, other, and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the uh, cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, few disappeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band, of, a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. 
Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from the house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands, hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to their faith. To their faith. Thanks, Piers, uh, for reading that for us. If you would keep it open uh, in front of you, we're going to focus in on chapter 6, 1 to 7. But just before I pray, do you, just have a note. Chapter 5, verse 32. I don't know if you noticed that as Piers read it. A funny little line. As the apostles speak, um, the apostles say this, Peter and the other apostles reply, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, that's the Lord Jesus, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I take it what he means by that is, look, there's the, the apostles' message, they've got the good news about Jesus, that's a witness. And also, as people believe in him, the Holy Spirit is given to the community that begins to be changed and lives out this new life. There's, there's the way God witnesses out to the world this message and the changed lives uh, of the church. Got that in mind. Let me, let me lead us in a prayer. Um, Lord God, as we come to, to look at this word, the apostle's message, please help us to hear it, to learn about the Lord Jesus. And we pray by your spirit you'd change us because we want to be a community that is able to witness uh, to the good news uh, about the Lord Jesus to those around us. Please help us with that. Amen. Now, uh, we've got to a kind of significant point in the story of Acts here uh, uh, at this chapter. You, you remember the beginning a couple of weeks ago as we looked at it. Jesus, the, this glorious Savior from heaven, God's own Son, who's come in and died for us and been raised to life again for us, offering forgiveness he told his apostles back in chapter 1 and verse 8 about direction of travel that he has in mind. Do you, do you remember that? There's a definite direction of travel for this good news about him that's going out to the world. He, he put it in these terms, Jerusalem. It's going to go out in Jerusalem. There'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in verse 7 of chapter 6 that we, we've just read, it's going to end with these words. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. 
Uh, and you realize, if you remember the kind of direction of travel in the book, you remember that list from the beginning, it's like that, that first kind of staging post has been ticked off. Here's where the story's going. First staging post has been ticked off. They really have been witnesses in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. And if you ever wonder, maybe those of you who are younger uh, and you're kind of new to Christian things, you may, is, this, is this Jesus that we read about, is he trustworthy? Can he keep his promises? Even from heaven, can we trust him? Luke, who's writing this, says, look, you can. Look, look he's doing what he said he'd do. This message is going out. This, this bunch of disciples that seem pretty frightened and pretty useless, the message is going out. It's filled Jerusalem. It's kept his words. But it's not been without problems, has it? We saw last week and we heard in the reading uh, this morning as well, the, the apostles at times, they were arrested. Multiple occasions, in fact. They were told to stop speaking about Jesus. You know, real threats. Make sure you don't say any more about him. You're to stop doing that. The religious authorities have been saying that. They've been beaten. You just heard that this morning. And they come through all of that. God brings them through all of that. In chapter 5, verse 42, if you've got it there in front of you, you see what the kind of pattern of life for the apostles is. Day after day, this is the apostles, chapter 5, verse 42. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what they're doing. They're, they're just talking to people about Jesus. They're teaching in homes and out in the, the public areas as the, as the church gathers. So much so that chapter 6, verse 1 the number of disciples was increasing. It's going on. It's, it's good news. But it's during this time of growth, in this kind of like the end of this one little section in Acts, that, that Luke tells us about one final kind of big challenge that comes to the church at this stage. And so here's the first thing. It's good for us just to, to pause and consider. Look, don't be surprised when church growth or a growing church leads to serious challenges. Don't be surprised when that happens. It's a funny one, though, though, given all the kind of dramatic external challenges that have come, being beaten up, being arrested, being told by the authorities to stop. This one's eternal. It, not eternal, sorry, internal, internal. And Peter's read for us Hellenistic Jews. That would have been kind of Jewish peoples who probably spoke just Greek. And adopted a kind of Greek, uh, Greek, they were culturally more Greek in their kind of outlook and approach to life, Hellenistic Jews. And there's Hebraic Jews, Hebrew Jews, and they would have probably spoken Aramaic uh, most of the time within the community, probably Greek as well, but spoke Aramaic. And culturally, just with their, their approach to life, they're, they're kind of more Jewish in the way they do things. And you see what's been happening, verse 1. The Hellenistic Jews, they think their widows who are in need are being overlooked. They're neglected. The food that's shared out amongst the community for, for those in need, they're beginning to think, hang on a second, it seems like the people in, in need who are culturally more like us, they're not being treated as fairly. Perhaps it's coming from kind of viewed differences in, in language. It's just so tricky talking to those people or the culture, or maybe it's to do with ethnicity. And Luke doesn't really nail down for us whether this really is kind of conscious prejudice or 
is more negligent and, and unconscious, but the unfairness is felt, and it's probably a sense of it's real. It's a growing church. It's growing in diversity, and there's some tensions. But you keep looking at this passage, and, and I think the challenges run a little bit deeper. You, you get that in verse 2. The apostles seem to sense it because they, they realize one of the things that's in danger of happening is the potential for them to be drawn away from, you see how they put it? The ministry of the Word of God. Now, you could think that doesn't seem very caring for them. Aren't they concerned about these other needs? But you remember the kind of thought flow of this book, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus had said he really wants them to be his witnesses. They are, they've been told to share the good news about him. That's what you must do. So are they, and is the church going to be diverted from that? See the challenge that's come up? And I think the challenge runs even a little deeper than that. Let me try and uh, help you see it this way. I don't know if you've ever bought a football shirt or had to buy one for someone else. Football shirts are really expensive. I mean, it's just quite I- incredible if you've got to buy one for, for the team. But this one's ridiculous. don't know if you came across this one in the past week. It's an Argentina uh, football shirt from the 1980s. Do you know how much this one sold for? It was in the news in the past week. It sold for £7,142,500. That's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, even Chelsea would be embarrassed to sell football shirts at that price, and their, their prices are off the scale. So why would, you, why would a shirt like that cost that much? And the reason is because this one small shirt, the reason this one small shirt carries such weight is because 35 years ago, It was worn by Maradona when Argentina played England in the 1986 World Cup. And so the accusation goes, he handled the ball into the England net, arguably beating England by cheating. You might say he handled the ball. I say, what an incredible jump that was if you go back and look at it. So that's that's what happened. And that's why... This little bit of material, this, this little shirt carries such weight. It carries such huge historical significance that someone was apparently willing to pay 7.1 million pounds just to own it. Now, if you can understand that, if you can kind of grasp that in some way, that a little thing can carry kind of a, a huge amount of significance, you, you'll understand something else in this story because there's a little thing here that carries a huge significance, and it's there in verse 1. If you've got a Bible open, just have a look at it. I'll, I'll point it out to you. It's, it's the word complained. Yeah, it's just a little word, and there's, there's reasons for it. But you could actually translate it grumbling. And the word, I think, those of you here, and there's probably many who know, know the Greek, it's, I think it's got that kind of feel to it. The word is kind of like gongismos, gongismos kind of grumbly-sounding kind of word, murmuring. And that little word, it's got a huge history for God's people because in the, in the Greek versions of the Old Testament, it's the same word that's used about God's people. Rescued from Egypt. Saved and, and set free and they're brought out. And there's, 
There's challenges along the way, and we're told they begin to grumble. They grumble about the food they've got. Interesting, isn't it, in what's going on here? That back then, God's people, what were they doing? Grumbling about the food. They begin to grumble about leaders. They begin to grumble about God. Almost as if this, this rescue is the, is the worst thing in the world that's happened to good people like them. They completely flipped what's happened on its head. And the, the grumbling takes hold and they begin to act badly. They begin to say no to God in all sorts of ways. They begin to rebel. And it led to God being angry and 40 years in the wilderness of God's people going nowhere. You understand why that might be significant at this point in the story of the church in Acts as they begin to grumble. 40 years. Now just have a think for a moment. See if we can do this. Those of you over 40 think, how old were you 40 years ago? And what might you have been doing then? Those of you under 40, just see if you can work out how old will you be in 40 years' time. And imagine, what do you think you might be doing then? And if you're bang on 40, you can go either way. <laughs> Just see if you can work that out, have a think about it, and, and chat, chat to somebody who's sitting nearby. See if you can think. What, what might you have been doing? What were you doing back then? What might you be doing in the future? How old would you be if you're happy to share that? Just take a minute or so. Think about that and chat to somebody sitting beside you. Great, let, let, me, let, me, let me break back in there. It's quite a thought, isn't it? 40 years. I mean, for some of us, it's gone like that, hasn't it? It's terrifying. Um, I remember when I was at primary school, seven years old, being asked to work out how old I would be in the year 2000. I worked it out that I'd be 30 years old, and I thought, that will never happen. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an impossible age. It's so far away, and... Gosh, it's, it's well in the rearview mirror. But just think, 40 years either way. And can you imagine being told you've, you've lived in such a way that God has said, enough. And for the next 40 years, I will be gracious. I'll still work out my plans, but you're going to miss out on so much blessing. Can you imagine being in a place where God says, for 40 years... No significant spiritual growth is going to come because of this. Imagine being part of a church where problems lead to this kind of grumbling. and God says, enough is enough. And for 40 years as a community, you go nowhere. That would be awful. And you see why this would be 
a significant and serious challenge for the church in Acts. And I think the Lord Jesus would say, look, Christ church, you've grown in many ways. You're beginning to be more diverse and long may it continue with that in all sorts of different directions. And I want to share the good news. I want the good news to be shared through you in homes, with neighbors, with diverse people out there, at school and in the workplace. But it comes with challenges, doesn't it? As you grow in this kind of way, it comes with challenges. Serving together is hard. Watch out for grumbling, Christ Church. Watch out for that. Don't start into the grumbling. I wonder as well if there might be some of us here, I was thinking about this uh, myself, who, who might feel, look, it feels like the past couple of years Christian life's gone a bit flat. I feel like in my Christian life I've kind of been going nowhere spiritually. might be worth asking, even as an, even as an individual, if, if in responding to problems you've started to become this kind of a grumbler. Even today, the Lord wants to get your attention on that. Now, you hear that, and you think, well, challenges and grumbling. So what is and what would be a godly response? Well, here's three brief things I think you see in this little story. The first one is keep being led by God's Word. It's not always clear, but the way Luke records this, he kind of speaks about two ministries in the church. In verse 1, he talks about the daily distribution of food, but it's literally the kind of the daily ministry in verse 2, he describes it in this kind of way, uh, waiting on tables. And that, that's not a, it's not a derogatory thing, oh, I'm just waiting on tables. It's literally more table ministry. And then verse 4, there's the ministry of the words. You could put it like this. There's these two things, the, the ministry of the words and the ministry of care for the needy. And I, I think as you read this, you understand what's being said. The ministry of the word is not... Ministry of care for the needy. They're, they're distinct things. You're not to confuse them. You're not to make one the other. They're, they're slightly different things. But I think this also says to us, look, that the ministry of the word should lead to always a ministry of care for the needy. I mean, it would be odd if it didn't, wouldn't it? Because the, the ministry of the Word, the message about the, the Lord Jesus, is all about a message of the one who had no needs in himself. He literally didn't need anything, and yet he came with great grace to those like you and me who are just nothing but needs and gave himself for us. It would be odd if we've benefited from him, if we've understood anything of his grace. You say we love him and want to follow him, not to want to share in caring for those in need as well. But with that in mind, notice what the apostles do. Verse 2, so they gather the church together. And the first thing they do is, is teach the church and remind them about the priority of teaching this good news about Jesus. In a world of needs, we mustn't be diverted from this need. Even at times, if people kind of say they don't feel the need this. Jesus says they do. We're not to be diverted from this need. We're in kind of, kind of unprecedented 
unprecedented times, aren't we? Things are getting financially harder for people. One example I heard in the past week, supermarkets uh, are trying to make sure they, they cut costs because they're finding things hard. And one of the things they're cutting back on, really trying to cut back on, is, is waste, any food waste. And you think, well, that's a good thing. Yes, it is. So one of the groups that have, have benefited from excess food from supermarkets have been some of the food banks. Food's been put out to those places, and that's been shared with those in need. So if that food's cut back, the food banks won't have as much food, which means there's likely to be people in need with more needs. When we see the things that happen like that, it's worth thinking about it. As a church, we're, we'll probably go through changes as well. There will be challenges, and as we face those challenges together, we need to keep this commitment clear. As a church family together, we need to be committed together. We want to keep being led by God's words. Here's another thing, though. Avoid thinking them and us. You see what's happening in the church here in Acts. There's beginning to be a kind of them and us, uh, them and us kind of thinking. Those Greek Jews, they're always complaining. There's always something wrong. Why are they making such a faff about it? The Greek Jews, them and us. Or it might be those leaders, they, they don't really care about us ordinary folk. There, there's them and us. It happens all over the place, don't you? You see it in families. Most, most younger sisters know older brothers always get treated better. Most older brothers know younger sisters always get treated better. Well, we know that kind of thing. There's, even in families, there can be a kind of them and us. Happens in church life as well in all sorts of different ways. You, you spot it at times when... People even begin to say things like this. Oh, I, I come to Christ Church, but I, I'm not really Christ Church. If I'm honest, I would really prefer a church that's a little bit less this and a little bit more that, whatever those things are. And you feel that. You feel that at times, don't you? I'm a bit different. I mean, there's Christ Church and there's me and I'm a bit different. But you've, you've noticed as well how easy it is to move from I'm different to I'm better or I'm different to I'm right, and there's a them and us. Our church family is all of us, committed to love one another in the Lord Jesus. There's differences for sure. There's, there's, there's men and women. There's those who are older, those who are younger, pathfinders and grafted. There's all sorts of difference that way, and we like different things. There's different home countries. For many, there's different first languages to speak. There's all sorts of differences. Different ways we could start thinking them and us. Do you see how the, the apostles begin to speak into this grumbling church? Do you see that in verse 3? See how they address them? Brothers and sisters. Do you understand the weight of that? How they think about the church, how they want the church to think together? Brothers and sisters. And it's a question to ask yourself, like, honestly, do you, do you help yourself in those kind of ways? Do you try and lean into that? Do you look around the church family and think them in us? Maybe you don't put it out that way, or do you think in terms and try and force yourself to think, brothers and sisters, who are these people? They're my brothers and sisters. We've got to fight to live that out. Avoid thinking them in us. There's just us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, here's the third little thing here. Look, be thoughtful, though, about new needs. The apostles are crystal clear what the priorities need to be in teaching, but they're not kind of so much stuck in their ways. They don't recognize things have changed. 
and need some different approaches. So verse 3, they came up with a plan. They recognized growth has created some needs, particularly amongst how the, the needy are cared for. It, it's thoughtfully done. They give kind of broad parameters for how leaders are to be appointed, and they delegate finding them. And the people chosen, I think that's done thoughtfully as well. The names of the people who are selected, it seems they're all Greek names. Doesn't mean all of them were Hellenistic Jews, but you understand what's going on. Look, even here as we, as we draw in new leaders, let's, we want to do that in a way that reflects the whole church community. This is us, brothers and sisters, together. And this task of caring for others in need, it's not like it's a, an insignificant distraction. Oh, there's the apostles, the proper leaders, and then well, you can get on with this other thing. No, no, the people appointed are ones God by His Spirit seems to have grown in wisdom. These are people who thoughtfully lead, caring for others. They'll be sensitive to the needs of others. They'll be wise in the way they approach this. Good to pray, isn't it, for us? As we head towards the summer and then on into September, good to pray. We'll encourage leaders to lead with God's words. Good to pray that we'll avoid as a church family thinking them and us, that we'll be thoughtful together about the changes we need. And one last thing. Look, it's striking, isn't it? At the end of all this, Luke wants to tell, is verse 7, the church, it grew rapidly. There's growth again. It began this little section with growth. It ends with growth. And then he adds this little thing. Do you see? It's a bit weird, verse 7. It says, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And these priests, they're, they're likely to have been this group. You read about them in the Gospels. that are the, the Sadducees. And they'd opposed Jesus. They'd been quite hostile to him. They seem pretty unlikely converts. But they become obedient to the faith. I've been pondering this week. Why Luke adds that little line in for us. And look, here's one thing to say. Look, enjoy, enjoy being surprised when challenges lead to serious growth again. There's a direction of travel in the book of Acts. Remember, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But there's also beginning to be seen a little pattern of kind of cycles for what goes on in, in church life. There, there's growth that happens in the church. God grows his church wonderfully. And, and it leads to, to challenges uh, that, that happen. And what God wants is for godly responses to those challenges that leads on to more growth. At times in Acts, uh, the church will seem to do, it's almost like it sits down and does some strategic planning for mission. Where we're going to go next, what's going to happen in growth. But here it hardly seems like that kind of big strategic planning you know, for where we're going next. It, it feels more like a church saying, we're going to make sure we keep hearing and sharing God's word together. And when we face challenges, it will work for godly responses but wanting to do that with a, a sort of kind unity with one another will really try and work towards that. And we're going to try and make sure we care well for those in need among us. To which God seems to say, here's a church 
I really do want to bless with serious growth in the Lord Jesus. But if growth often brings challenges again, it should set you up at this point because there's just been some growth. What's the next challenge that's going to come? And look, here's a a little video that outlines a kind of overview of this next bit of Acts that you can read later. I'm going to watch that now. If you've got a Bible uh, still open in front of you, just turn over to chapter 8, verse 1. You can read the, the whole section about Stephen if you want later. But there we go. Growth led to real challenges again in, in suffering. Stephen persecuted. And then hear this in chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, this is after Stephen's been martyred. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. A real challenge, and what happens? And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Remember the direction of travel in Acts, where we're going? Here's going, growth uh, has led to challenge. A godly response from somebody like Stephen, and God's still at work through that, growing uh, the church and his kingdom as the message of Jesus goes out. More on that next week. Now we're going to have a moment just to pause and pray before uh, Steve uh, comes to lead us uh, as we go on into the Lord's Supper. There might be a couple of things you want to pause and pray for as well. I was thinking just about a, a church that grows and grows with all sorts of different people. I did a, a little jot down about our PCC, our church council. Again, we're going to be electing some members for that. It is wonderful. Amongst the church council, we've got people who are English, people who are Irish, people from a Caribbean background, people from a Hong Kong background, people from a Norwegian background, people from a Dutch background, people who are Scottish, and a mixture of things like that. Amongst our small group leaders, again, just there's probably more people from a Nigerian background. I thought there's quite a few from a Canadian background, Irish, English, Indian background, Dutch background. This isn't just a Cambridge thing. This is a glorious Lord Jesus thing. Um, and we don't want to step past that. And it might be as you pray now, you want to, you just get so used to it being here. But just that would be a good thing to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for the way you've grown your church. And we'd love more of this. It might be as well the thing you want to pray about is, as you think about grumbling, you think, that all too easily can be me. Uh, Lord, would you draw me away from that? So have a moment for just some quiet prayer, and then Steve will lead us on.